Good evening, everyone. It's another week of Necromaniacs. I'd like to welcome back Jeff from his voyage to Boise. How's it going, Jeff? Man. Good, man. How are you doing? I heard you did a lot of driving. I did, man. I took a little uh, little road trip up to uh, Boise. Uh, had some old friends there uh, and uh, had some time off, you know. And uh, my life is going to get pretty busy pretty soon so i thought this would be a good time to take a little solo trip something i've never really done i've never really just taken like a little road trip by myself you know i've been all over the country driving all over the country as as you have you know yeah but never 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 done it by myself so uh, you know I, I 12 hours was uh 12 hours 30 minutes to be exact it's like that's not so bad that's so an impressive, i did it. that's an impressive shift man i gotta be honest you know you know, like, when, when you leave early, too, like, 4 in the morning, there's not a lot of traffic, those first few hours just burn off so quick. And before you know it, you know, I was like, oh, only eight hours left. It's when the last two hours is when you really start to feel it. You know, everything hurts, cramping. You know, you're drinking, like, 10 Red Bulls, and you feel like you're <laughs> something ungodly is going to come out of your body. You're not sure which end. <laughs> you know, that, that that's when it gets gets rough or the, when you finally get to where you're going you've got your whole body's just buzzing <laughs> like but you know what i i enjoyed it and uh had a really good time had a lot of fun i got to see some live music uh our old uh, tour mates tool was was playing while i was there and um my old bandmate is a uh, part of their crew now who's working for the band That's and excellent. uh yeah and it was sad i couldn't really get to see or hang out with anyone because you know it's uh, they're in a bubble and you know there's a lot of money at stake if uh, one of those guys gets sick and they have to cancel the show so i didn't get to get to see anyone but it was fun to see too you know i haven't seen tools since we toured with them which was uh, 2006 jesus man that's a long time yeah and uh i forgot what a good show they put on i mean even if you don't like the band i think you would in in enjoy the show uh the crowd was another thing but you know we don't have to get into that <laughs> um I, I like tool i i remember the first yeah. time i saw them they were opening for the rollins band like way back wow in, in the 90s and they were just um I, I don't even think undertow was out yet or it was coming out while they were on that tour maybe right yeah probably yeah because uh rollins is on that record isn't he yes he has like a spoken word passage on there yeah, I thought so. I haven't I haven't listened to that record in uh, maybe since it came out. So it's been a while, but I seem to remember. Yeah, Rollins standing out. That that that's a cool show, man. Yeah. Rollins back in the day and Tool back in the day. I'm sure that was great. Totally. Yeah, that was a uh, end of silence era Rollins band. Uh, you know, Undertow. I mean, they were playing. I didn't I didn't know the band at the time, but I'm assuming they were playing songs that were on Undertow because that had come out. Or was going to come out around that time. Mm. Yeah, when I um, I I, I, I probably told you the story before. I saw Rollins Band open for Jane's Addiction in like 1990. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I saw that too. On the on the ticket though, it said Jane's Addiction with special guest Lush. So the whole time Rollins Band was playing, I was like, wow. Lush doesn't sound like I thought they did. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, like I, I was a you know 14-year-old kid just kind of new to all that stuff, so I didn't know a fucking thing, <laughs> you know, and like 
only for someone to come up and be like, uh, you know, a friend that I, I was there. I was like, what'd you think of Rollins Van? I was like, oh yeah, 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 great Rollins Van. Yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew it was them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, but it it made me a fan. You know, it was a, uh, quite a few years ago and un- un- unforgettable performance. Rollins Van was great at that show. Right before we started this uh, recording, I was listening to uh, Oxbow, King of the Jews. And, oh uh, man, that's a great record. And there, you know, there's elements of Oxbow that remind me a little bit of the Rollins bands at times. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Oxbow is one of those bands. It's very hard to compare them to another band if you're explaining them to someone who hasn't heard them. Rollins band would be a good, an apt comparison, I think. I would say uh, Rollins Band, uh, Led Zeppelin, um, and uh, the Birthday Party. If you were to like smash all those bands together, that's kind of what Oxbow sounds like. Yeah, totally. And they have a new record coming out this year, I believe, on on, on Ithaca. I am looking forward to that. Yeah, I really loved their last one, which was to be, I guess, the last release for Hydrahead. Uh, the Thin Black Duke, it was called. It's a great, great record, too. If Hydrahead has to go out, they're they're going out on a high note for sure. I, I actually wrote uh, a piece about that record when it came out, which uh, you guys can find out find on uh, Bandcamp Daily. When I, I interviewed Eugene and wrote a piece about the record upon for its release, and I was oh okay, pretty stoked okay, about I, doing that. Check you did a really good interview with Eugene for uh, Everything Went Black, or, or was that Everything Went Black? No, there was Metal Matters. I've, I, he's been on this on he's been on Everything Went Black and Metal Matters a couple of times, and. Uh, it's impossible not to do a good interview with Eugene Robinson. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, like touring with him uh, was a blast because it was just hours and hours of great stories. And, uh, you know, that guy's been around for a long time. You know, he's the one, I think, who, who originally told me that Cosby was sketchy, <laughs> you know, before these accusations came out. Uh, Eugene was like, you know, you know, he's, you know, he's not right. He's not <laughs> and, right. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get too into it, but you know he was in one. Of, he was in a Bill Cosby movie called Leonard Part Six. Wow, um, I didn't. I wasn't one of the, one of, of that. Yeah, it's one of the worst movies ever made. Hmm. Uh, so of course, you know, I've seen it a million times because I love that shit. And uh, I, I hadn't seen it since I've known Eugene, but I watched it when I was a kid, <laughs> and uh, I've always meant to go back and check it out and see if I could spot Eugene. But uh, yeah, he had a few stories from the from his and just interacting with bill cosby and uh that was the first time i heard like a, a an allegation and it's like one of those things you're like that can that be true you know and turns out yes it can that's really it's such a depressing story man honestly you know it really is man cosby was such a part of everyone's childhood people our age and you know, it was a big inspiration for a lot of really funny comedians. And then you find out your hero is an absolute piece of garbage. You know, that, that, that's that got to be tough. I mean, he wasn't a hero of mine. It was just a fan. I remember Bill Cosby himself being on HBO all the time when I was a kid. And I could practically fucking recite that whole thing from memory. And then you find out he's the one of the worst serial rapists that ever lived. It's uh, awful in every way imaginable. Have you uh, had a chance to check anything out as far as like shows or movies, reading, anything like that while you were on uh, the last couple of weeks since we last spoke? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's been a while. So I, uh, you know, checked out a bunch of stuff. You know, I got my booster shot, I think, since we last talked. And uh, that fucking thing put me down for a couple of days. Wow. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think you, you told me that, but yeah. 
Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was almost like almost instantaneous. Like I got the shot and they're like, okay, go sit in that seat for 15 minutes. And as soon as I stood up, I was like, mm, I feel a little tired. And then by the time I got home, I was like, yeah, I, I don't feel good. Every shot I got is worse than the last one. So if we got to take like a fourth or fifth shot, I don't know if I'm going to make it, man. It just fucking <laughs> killed you like straight out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I just fucking die right there in front of all those fucking people waiting in line to get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that would be kind of funny. Um, yeah, so I was uh, I was in bed and uh, was just kind of catching up uh, on some things. None of it really horror, but um, I rewatched Band of Brothers. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, that series like two what, two seasons. Uh, it's a Vietnam story. Uh, it is one one series, a mini uh, or uh, mini series. There was a spiritual sequel with uh, you know Spielberg and Hanks again producing about the called the Pacific. Ah, yes. But this is about Germany, World War II. Uh, ten episodes. You see a lot of uh, people before they were famous. Like there's a young, skinny Tom Hardy oh, in it. Yeah. You okay. know, before he was all yoked up to play uh, Bronson and then Bane, and uh, you know James McAvoy. Uh, you see just uh, uh, what's his name from Shaun of the Dead. Uh, a lot of people, a, a lot of one, British people. One of the Skarsgård brothers in that too, or am I thinking of a totally different show? I think you might be thinking of a different show. I don't remember okay. any, right. any of them, but uh, yeah, it came out, or I think it came out in 2000, 2001, back when I was living in Boston. So I, I hadn't seen it in quite a while. And uh, I have to say it's one of the better things HBO has ever done. And one of the, one of the, just the best pieces of TV I've ever seen. It held up really well and, um, you know, the, the, the episodes each start with an interview with an actual person the, that the, the characters are based on. It's really, yes. um, I did see this. Yeah, I did. Now, now yeah. I, I was getting confused, but I think generation kill might've been the other one that I was getting confused with. Yeah. Generation kill. I, I got to rewatch that too. That, that was, that was pretty good. That was, uh, uh, forget where that took place though. That was like a, one of our more recent wars. I, I know that. <laughs> That had a Skarsgård in that, right? Alexander Skarsgård was in that, I think. That sounds about right. Yeah, he yeah. was in that. Yes, yeah, right. he was okay, in that. Now, now I'm yeah. at it straight, yeah. And uh, James Ransone is in that as well, who's uh, who's in the Sinister movies, and uh, he's in the second season of The Wire as uh, Ziggy. Oh, yeah, that guy, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 he's, he's, he's great. But, I mean, Band of Brothers is really great, and, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, you they were fighting like real Nazis, real fucking evil shit. And then immediately <laughs> after that, I, I watched a documentary about uh, uh, the um, insurgents at the Capitol. It was also on HBO. It was called Four Hours at the Capitol. Oh, wow. That and must have been a, a cheery um, a bit of a film to watch. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was uh, enraging on so many levels. They interviewed a lot of people who were there, who got arrested. Um, they interviewed the the cops, a few of the, the the police. You know, several of which were were injured. And you know, although only one person died, or one one police officer died, in that whole thing, I, I, the death toll was a little bit higher. I think they ended up being like I don't know, six or seven people losing their lives, something like that. Um, it I, I I think it, it, it's a it's a bullet fired in 
in something much larger. I really feel like after watching that, that was just a, a test run for something much worse to come. Totally, man. Yeah. And, and these uh, these these hillbillies that uh, <laughs> had believed in all this Donald Trump stuff, this right wing rhetoric, uh, obviously are not fans of irony because. Uh, they couldn't, I guess, appreciate the irony of them having their, their flags with the blue line on it. Meanwhile, they're beating up and fucking brutalizing police officers who they purport to be supporting. You know, Don't th- right. there some brutal irony associated with that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's insane. And uh, I, I, the, uh, the death of truth and facts is is just very depressing because if something happens that you don't agree with, well, you know, well, it was rigged, it was stolen from me, it's not true. Everything you see is a lot, you know. It's 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 crazy that that has information is so readily readily available to us right now. So is misinformation, and that's what people latch on to. If if this is what my team believes, and I believe it too, even if it's just utter nonsense, like you have one guy ranting about how Donald Trump is trying to stop the pedophiles. And I, I don't know what the right's obsession with is with pedophiles. Everyone thinks pedophiles are bad. And I mean, well, we can bad, all agree right? on that. Yeah. <laughs> we agree on that at least, right? We can agree on that. Yeah. But they're obsessed with it. Like oh, yeah. everything about it is like, these people are demons and they're pedophiles. Like just crazy shit. Um, it's terrifying. Uh, it really is. And, um, I, uh, I kicked off to the 2022 with, uh, you know, every, every every New Year's Day, I like to uh, watch something I meant to watch, you know, the year before, something I, I, I missed. And this year, uh, it kind of goes with uh, that. We watched Don't Look Up. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. That was that was interesting. Did you like it? Um, I appreciate his existence. Uh, it, it's, there's a couple things uh, about it that I didn't like, but... Um, it was it was good, and I'm glad they made it. You know what I mean? But mm. did I enjoy it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not decided yet. Mm. I, I I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I thought that it, it it just relentlessly mocked today's society perfectly. Yeah. That that I appreciated. Uh-huh. I thought Jonah Hill was great in it. Yeah, Jonah Hill was a very Jonah Hill type of character. Uh, I think everyone kind of brought like brought it. They were all like memorable even ron perlman who's only in a couple scenes dude ron perlman is, is always great man i love yeah. ron perlman he is hysterical in that movie uh, and he plays it completely straight uh, playing this like hard ridged you know uh boomer racist uh, just fucking <laughs> blowhard <laughs> you know and he you know it's such the opposite of who uh, ron perlman is in real life um he cut me off in traffic once. True story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Damn. He, he, yeah, he came flying past me in the right turn lane. I the light turned green. I was about to go, and this Tesla came speeding up behind me. Takes like goes around me on the right and just shoots out in front of me. And when I, you know, when I went to look to see who this asshole was, you know, about to get him, like, holy shit, it's fucking Hellboy. <laughs> did he? Uh, did he flip you off or anything like that? Uh, I, I I was about to flip him <laughs> off before I realized who it was. I was like, ah, oh, you know. It's okay. It's Ron Perlman. <laughs> um, but he's really good. And Jennifer Lawrence, uh, you know, she hasn't been in much lately. She kind of took a break from uh, from acting. And uh, she's really good. And, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, he's as good as uh, he, he, you know, as he allows himself to be. I, I always think Leonardo DiCaprio is always just 
kind of doing like he always seems like he's playing dress up to me you know what i mean <laughs> like I, I i've grown to really appreciate him in the last 10 years or so when ever since he was in um i think it was uh the departed i think is like when he's, started, he's good in that yeah. yeah he started coming into his own and he's not just like a pretty face anymore you know yeah well he's uh he's pushing 50 at this point yeah yeah, well, um, but I, I've never known him to do anything that was, uh, well, that's not true. He's, he's funny in a few things and he's funny in this, uh, he's funny in, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, you know, not, not really a, a comedy, but he's very funny in that. And, uh, yeah, I know I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I was a little surprised to see that there was a, a lot of backlash to the movie, uh, from critics. Fuck uh, critics, I, dude. You know, that, who the fuck yeah. are that? You know, people. Anyone with a fucking internet connection can be a critic these days. Look at look at us. Yeah, you know, we're fucking we're a bunch of jerk offs with a fucking internet connection. Who cares? You know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why anyone would listen to anything I have to say. I'm a moron. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. Uh, but I, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, pretty pretty terrifyingly accurate skewering of of our society. Yeah, 100%. Like, the satire is, 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 uh, was pretty, pretty awesome, I thought, you know, and, and the casting was good. And I mean, I, I like it. I just like, um, I, my thing is, um, I don't know. I never really like comedies. I guess that's really what it comes down to, even when it's like dark like this. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, Adam McKay, though, if you're going to watch a comedy, Adam McKay is the guy. He's, he's really good at it. I thought, I wouldn't call Vice a comedy. It was kind of comedic, but I wouldn't call it like a flat out comedy. But, uh, you know, he also did Anchorman and Step Brothers. And, you know, I, I find those movies kind of silly, but, but a lot of fun. I, I enjoy a good comedy every now and again, but yeah, they're few and far in between. I thought it yeah. was funny how they kind of frame up Jennifer Lawrence's character as being like kind of frumpy and mediocre looking, you know, but I thought she was like, you know, like, well, she, yeah, she's Jennifer Lawrence. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Yeah. You know? She's, uh, she looked, she yeah. looked awesome, I thought, you know? Yeah, they just kind of gave her, like, a shitty haircut, which is a Hollywood Her haircut was cool, man. Married. She had those little bangs and stuff. That was awesome, I thought, man. Yeah, she kind of had, like, a female mullet, though. Yeah, I don't care about it. She looked great, man. All right. Yeah, well, you know, she's Jennifer Lawrence. She's going to look great uh, in, in anything, I think. Uh, and she's really good in this. She's she's a. It was good to see her back on the screen. I, I feel like I haven't seen her in a while. And uh, Meryl Streep is really funny. Who who really stole the show is the guy who plays like the Steve. I, I forget his name, but he plays like the Steve Jobs type. Like oh yeah, mm -hmm. the, the the guy who's like yeah who's, who's like really running things and has the the, the power to stop uh, uh, the mission in, in the middle of it to, so they can. You know, because they, they, he found a way to monetize this uh, asteroid that's going to kill everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, I thought he was really, really funny, um, which is interesting because that's one of the things people seem to dislike about the movie the most was him and his character. But uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, last thing I'll mention, um, just started watching this a few days ago, Peacemaker, on, also on HBO. Uh, Max streaming. Uh, James Gunn's uh, show, which is based around John Cena's character from The Suicide Squad, the second Suicide Squad movie. Uh, kind of like, if you watch that movie, you're kind of like, I, I thought, oh, it's interesting. They're going to base a whole movie, uh, a whole TV show around this guy. Uh, curious to see what that's like. Uh, it turns out it's really good. It's uh, 
very funny, very James Gunn. If, if you're a fan of him, I, I would imagine you probably like the show. Uh, John Cena has proven himself to be a yeah, yeah, pretty likable presence on screen uh, as an actor. I, I never really watched pro wrestling, at least not past like 1985. So I don't know much about his career uh, in that. But uh, I think as an actor, he's he's really got some comedic chops in him. And he's uh, very good as a uh, sort of a douchebag who thinks he's the good guy. <laughs> but he's really the bad guy. You know what I mean? Uh, pretty good stuff, though. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to uh, check DC, that out too. So. Actually, yeah, I'm yeah, watching yeah. it. You should check. I know you're. I know you're not the biggest uh, DC fan. You know, even uh, not just movies or TV, but comic books in general, right? Well, it's funny you mention that because I've been rereading the entire Alan Moore Swamp Thing uh, series, which oh, DC, I never DC read that. Published. No, you never read that. No. Oh man, dude, I should buy you a gift of the entire all the trades because they're incredible they they can't you know it's funny i i re, i you know it's weird man like i remember <laughs> reading those in my mind it was the 90s but they yeah. actually came out in the 80s oh really yeah, yeah so i must i i must have been a lot younger when i read those and i thought certainly possible yeah. um alan moore's i mean i remember reading watchmen early 2000s i think yeah, I can't that remember, came out, but this what Watchmen came out in the '80s. That I remember. Yeah, yeah, I definitely did not read it when it came out. It yeah. was definitely uh, after the fact. I think maybe because Terry Gilliam, at one point, was involved with trying to make that into a film, and I think that's what piqued my interest. Because, yeah, especially at that point, I was a huge Terry Gilliam fan. I guess technically I still am, although I don't think he's made a really good movie in quite some time. Um, but he still made Twelve Monkeys, Brazil. Fisher King still, you know, his movies are still fantastic. Uh, so I think that's how I discovered Watchmen was was from that. Uh, obviously, he didn't get to make his movie. You know, Zack Snyder did. And uh, I think he just showed everyone how <laughs> really the Watchmen just doesn't work as a movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um, and, Even though I enjoy the Zack Snyder film, it's just different, you know. Yeah, it's just hard. I don't think he nailed the tone. It was kind of like watching a cover band. It's hit, it's playing all the right notes. It's technically the song that you know and like, but it's just something. It's just not there. Like the soul has been gutted from it. Uh, that's sort of what the movie felt like, and it was awkward and jumped around too much. It just, just didn't work for me. It's not, it's not a disaster, but it, it, I didn't get that that feeling I got when I read the comic book. Like I had just read something amazing, and then when I saw the movie, it was just basically like, well, that was a movie. Yeah, Alan Alan Moore is a visionary man, and and I early on in my life, I think at the time that Swamp Thing was being published, it was a little bit past above my my abilities. I think at the time to fully understand and enjoy it, and maybe that's mm-hmm. why I remember more of it being something in the '90s that I read, you know. But maybe I think I do have the original single issues towards the end of the run, so I was like able to enjoy it i was like getting more mature enough to understand like what was going on in the story i think you know yeah sure but yeah it's i'm I'm, i have never read it from the beginning so i have all the trades and uh, i bought like a box set for christmas it was like you know i treated myself to a present 
and I'm nice. going through the entire series right now. That and uh, I'm rereading uh, Sandman too. I have all the trades. I've never that. never read Sandbot. When I was married, I bought like all of those for uh, for my wife for Christmas or a box set or something. She was a big fan. Yeah. Uh, but I've never read them myself. Uh, that's Neil Gaiman, though, right? The yes, that's Neil Gaiman. Right? Yeah. Yep. And um, I have like a a lot of the singles, like the individual issues, but the, I don't have all of them, so that's why I have the trades. And I I read, I did read that in the '90s, and but spotty, you know, like I didn't have like the entire set, so that's why I'm going back to the beginning and rereading the whole thing. Oh, okay, all right. And that's going to be a show soon, isn't it? I think so, and I think that's what prompted me to to go back and read the source material. Yeah, I saw the ads for it, and every every character had their pronouns next to their name. I was wondering, is that, like, part of the comic book? No, that... no, 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 no. This is, like, this came out way before that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I know. I just didn't know if that was... No, but you know, identity or something was 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 a big part of the comic no, book. I really know nothing about it. Not, no, not to my recollection. I, mean, I think hmm. that, um, I mean, in general, like if, when you were re like the people that read Sandman, I think back then were like these kind of like gothy, like you know, yo, kid, yeah, kids who yeah, are into totally. like uh, you know Bauhaus and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and um, you know, and then and then. So maybe it fits in with that, like people who are maybe LGBTQ, you know, probably will be will gravitate towards that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, you know. Yeah, I like it. Knows. I'm not a, you know, I, I'm me, you know. <laughs> you guys know me. I, I like a lot of stuff like that, you know, and uh, I just think it's great, you know. And I, if they want to be in this on this inclusive thing, that's cool. Yeah. yeah i wasn't bothered by it in this i just thought I, i'd never seen anything advertised like that so i thought maybe it had something to do with the, the comic book or whatever i i, I don't know no it, um it doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the original series i mean i, I think they might have redone something over the years but i'm only familiar with the original run okay yeah well i know at some point joseph gordon levitt was on board he was going to direct or star in or both i, I don't know if he's still involved uh i know I, all i know is that just gordon Levitt really doesn't have a lot of credits to his name as a director so i always thought that was a little bit of an odd choice but you know who knows uh, yeah, I don't and, know. and at this point yeah i don't know if he's still involved you know I, i think that thing has been trying to get off the ground forever yeah um same so. thing with these hellraiser series that they keep talking about making too apparently there's going to be two now really yeah That's uh yeah um it's funny how like they can't get something going and then all of a sudden there's like two of the same like you know like the like DC universe there's like how many Batman's at this point you know oh, you yeah, have like yeah totally you know Ben Affleck and also uh, Michael Keaton's coming back and then you have this uh, Robert Pattinson which is independent of the DC universe uh, and which by the way looks incredible it does uh, it does I'm look good really looking forward to that yeah. Um, bringing the the, uh, the the tone back that I think that uh, that that Batman needs and and I think uh, him existing in a world with with gods and aliens is I, I don't know just not not that into that idea I, I like the more grounded uh, Batman you know Nolan Batman and all that that stuff yeah Batman's not really a cosmic character you know he's more you know street level gritty kind of guy you know Yeah, although I did enjoy Zack Snyder's uh, cut of Justice League very much. So, uh, again, 
what the fuck do I know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Swamp Thing, you're here. I, I assume you've read From Hell, right? Oh, dude. I've, I've read most of Al Moore's material. Like, I, I, ha- I have the novel Jerusalem, which I have not read yet, but that's on the list there. It's in the pile. Yeah. From Hell might be the best graphic novel I've, I've ever read. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I thought it was great, too. Yeah. Another uh, horrible adaptation of his work, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you kind of know right off the bat which things are going to be successfully made into films and which ones aren't. And I always had my doubts about that, about From Hell being made into a good film. Yeah, maybe a TV show or something. Yeah. But um, it's aged really bad. I remember watching the film uh, after I finished the comic book or the graphic novel, rather. Um, I was on tour at the time, so this was in Europe, 2009. Uh, and the movie was only a few years old at that point, but already felt extremely dated and just very far removed from what I had just read. And uh, yeah, it's a disappointing Johnny. You know, you had a good cast with Johnny Depp, but uh, uh, Ian Holm. But yeah, it just didn't work at all on any level. It's terrible. Yeah, the Alan Moore uh, series Promethea is really cool, too. I don't know if you've read that. No, I haven't. I haven't read a lot of Alan Moore. Just those, uh, just those two things, Watchmen and uh, From Hell. Prometheus is awesome. It's um, another. I'm probably going to reread that at some point this year too. It's uh, something I, you know, it's good to. I pick them up every now and then and look through them and read them. It's very much like um, focused on the occult and all this like esoteric stuff, which is like one of Alan Moore's uh, interests. You know, and it comes across in the Prometheus series really well. Yeah, is he some sort of like weird like shaman? He kind of looks like one. <laughs> yeah, I think he's into like ceremonial magic or something like that. That's you know his his. Uh, all I know is he has a lot of knowledge about the, that subject. So I don't know if he's like right. a yeah. practitioner or like what his deal is. You know, seems to be very uh, against Hollywood, and he seems like a prickly fellow. He, he does and uh, refuses to watch any of these adaptations of his uh, of his work, and just seems yeah. to just have nothing but uh, contempt. Well, I mean, if people are continually misinterpreting his work, I would imagine, you know, that's probably why it feels that way. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, if, if I had written uh, something and then watched, uh, you know, say I had written uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and then I saw that movie that they made out of it, I'd be pretty mad too. <laughs> I mean, that was an abysmal piece of shit. Yeah, no, I wasn't into that. You know, I, I actually... Uh, I didn't even complete complete watching it. It was just I'm like, yeah, I'm checking out on this thing. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, pretty bad. I'm sorry. Anyway, what else has you been? What else have you? Oh, okay. Been- I, well, for me, I, I uh, my big thing is I watched Archive 81, which uh, is on Netflix, and uh, was all in okay. on that. And uh, Rennie from Starkweather actually brought told me about it, and I, I thought it's funny. I'm watching this show. And I thought, I'm like, oh, this is like, you know, this is some obscure, like, thing that no one knows about besides me and Rennie and, like, a couple other people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going we're to have to talk about this on one of these podcasts. And then, like, I do some reading, and it's, like, the biggest show on Netflix. I didn't even realize that. It was, like, the number one thing that came out that week, apparently. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, what's- hugely successful. I yeah I did not know did not know uh any really anything about it someone else mentioned that to me that they were watching it I don't know if it was you or not I don't think it was it's um, um it's got all the shit that I like it's like weird fiction cosmic horror 
it's like some guy reviewing like archival tapes from the past and uh you know weird movies that were never released that have clues to this other thing that's going on you're going between dimensions and time travel and you know oh interesting rituals sacrifices bizarre cults you know like all that kind of stuff you know what i mean i love all masks people wearing masks Mm. some weird mold you know like interesting fungus you know all cool. those things, all the things that we would read about in like a Lovecraftian story or part of this show. That sounds right up my alley, and uh, I I need to pay closer attention to these things because I, I I yeah I didn't even know about this. Well, you wouldn't. It just I I just showed up and like then everyone watched it, you know, and and um, you know, I th- I thought that I was going to be like you know laying out there laying some laying some knowledge on people by saying this, by talking about this show, but like. Apparently, I'm the one who doesn't know what the fuck's going on because it's like the biggest show in, on TV. <laughs> That's interesting. It doesn't seem like it would be. I mean, even like, you know, the show Lovecraft uh, Country, like it, it seemed like it was popular, but uh, it was canceled. Uh, well, so how popular was it? It was popular among like a certain strata of, a, of, of the inner, inner, inner webs, I think, you know? Yeah, and, yeah um, totally. And it wasn't popular among actual fans, I think. Yeah, I checked out after I think two and a half or three episodes. I, I think I saw three episodes, but really only thought could focus on the first two and kind of had mentally checked out by the third one and just decided it wasn't worth my time to finish it. I, I, um, I'm very protective of some of this material and I and only because it's so vulnerable in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Sure. Like Lovecraft's dead. He's like wrote all this stuff like a hundred years ago. You know what I mean? Like li- literally, like a hundred years ago, is all of his stuff was written. And yeah. Look, I'm not trying to apologize for his racism or his xenophobia, but it was like Edgar Allan Poe was a, was supported slavery. You know what I mean? It's not these are from a different era. These people, you know. So I mean, right. you know, everyone lines up and they point out, yeah, you know, okay, great, I know, I know, I know, but that like doesn't eradicate the incredible work that he's done in addition to his ignorance about race and xenophobia and all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, Lovecraft probably would have hated a, a guy in Itali- of Italian descent and that guy of Portuguese descent talking about his work. <laughs> but also Lovecraft, maybe if he was, had been born in, uh, you know, the year 2000 with all these other millennials, he probably would be a different guy. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? He might be like one of these like incels or something like that, you know, who hates women yeah. or something. I don't know. You know? Yeah, it could, yeah it's, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Who, who, who the hell knows? But yeah, he is sort of the architect of, of, of horror. So much of good stuff has yeah. come from his work and been inspired by his work. And then, yeah, he was not a pleasant person by any means, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like. But yeah, um, uh, um, I got I to gotta check it out. Uh have you seen, uh, like, it seems to be like a loaded question. I was just talking to my friend about this last night. There's so much, so much out there right now that, like, I could talk to three different people and they'll all tell me a show that they're watching that I've never heard of. What, what when, do you have a uh, question? Are you going to ask me something? No, no, no. But, like, you know, oh. it's like, oh, have you seen? And then, you know, the, the, oh, yeah. the, like, I feel like, you know, the conversation that start like that and they can go into this, uh, this, 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 these shows and I just have no idea. 
existed you know like i'll go turn on hulu and i'll you know see ads for all these shows i'm like i've never heard of this there's just so much out there right now well archive 81 is that's i'm into that man and then uh the other thing i read uh i read um the ninth configuration by uh william peter blatty you know the guy who wrote it oh, of course yeah yeah and, yeah um, that was that was i've been planning to read that for a while and uh there's a it was there was a movie in 1980 uh, called the Ninth Configuration, also known as Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane, which st stars uh, Stacy Keach. Oh, okay. You know, I've never seen that. No, it's on oh. Shutter right now, and um, it's not one of Blatty's strongest uh, works. You know what I mean? But it, I I felt compelled to read it, and um, it got it. It really starts popping off about halfway through the book, but the mm. first. 30 or 40 pages i'm like eh, i don't know if it's like there's like a little too much slapstick going on you know sure but then it really kicks in and then there's like a heavy a heavy message at the end which which is worth the slog through the things that you might not enjoy so much and i don't think i've actually seen the movie adaptation of this you know so i'm gonna go ahead and watch that yeah um you know, William Peter uh, Blatty directed one movie, and that is uh, Exorcist Three. Yep. Because uh, he put his money where his mouth is. Like, if you don't see, you want, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. <laughs> and uh, he was very unhappy with uh, the Exorcist Two or whatever, and he really <laughs> wanted Legion to be done right. He didn't even want it to be called Exorcist, Exorcist Three, as I understand. Yeah. And uh, it really is one of the better sequels that that uh, horror sequels, especially that that exists. Dude, I'm all um, in on Exorcist 3. I thought that was great, man. Yeah, and his cut of it, uh, I think, is even better. There's a Blu-ray Blu of it out, where, um, and you can tell, like, the, the, the footage that's been cut, and it was like, you know, it's the, the, the quality of uh, the footage that they re put back into the movie is not as good as the, the rest of the movie, but it's, it's definitely more of a dramatic movie and uh you know you can see how the exorcist or the horror elements were kind of forced on them and in, in, in reshoots uh it's an interesting watch for sure yeah and also the legion novel is really good too that's that's you know you should you should if you've read the first work exorcist you should read legion as well i should and uh william peter Blatty, he's no longer with us correct he's i don't know I, i'm I, much to my chagrin i don't know if he's alive or dead honestly I think he passed away, not fairly recently, but maybe within the last 10, 15 years or so. I, I could be completely wrong. I could be thinking about the guy who wrote Jaws. Uh, <laughs> and I could be wrong about that, too. I, uh, I'm not sure. So that brings oh. us to uh, tonight's movie, which um, this is our, our, for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing uh, international films. So this is like uh, an unintentional series, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I didn't even think about that. Yep. This Mike. one hails from Japan. Yep. Uh, Mike and I, of course, uh, the last couple of weeks, we did uh, some Italian gialli and, um, you know, featuring um, Edwige Fennec, the two films made by uh, Sergio Martino. Yeah, and this week we're doing um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, which came out in 1997. And uh, this is yes. your recommendation. This is one of your films. Yeah, um, I believe. God, I, I don't know how this uh, stumbled on my uh, on my radar. You know, like you said, this movie came out in '97, but didn't reach America till 2001. So it kind of precedes the big 
J-horror boom that sort of was ushered in with the remake of The Ring, or Ringyu, as it's called in Japan. And right around then, you start, you know, Juon all of a sudden became very popular in those kinds of uh, movies. And um, Kyoshi Kurosawa has a, has a very different style. So this movie kind of is more obscure to horror fans. It was more known, I think, to like, you know, film aficionados. Like, uh, you know, it's streaming on the Criterion channel, not on Shudder. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, are you a fan of uh, the Japanese horror boom? Are you a fan of those movies? Um, not really, honestly. And, you know, not, not like, uh, I just, I'm not as knowledgeable about that particular um, style. You know what I mean? Like, I, right. There's a there's several, I mean, I love a lot of Japanese horror films. I'm just not like, uh, I'm not knowledgeable as much as some people are. Like I like right. a lot of the I'm I find I think that I'm a little bit more knowledgeable about Italian horror and French horror than I am about uh, Japanese. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a certainly an uh, aficionado of the Japanese horror. I just you know they, those movies Juan. I think those were probably the most popular of the bunch, and uh, I can see why. You know they're they're well made, but they really are based around spooky ghosts. And a lot of jump scare set pieces. And Cure is very different from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, 100%. I mean, mean, first of all, this film is uh, 111 minutes long. You know, it doesn't have that lean, like, 90-minute feature length that a lot of those other films have, you know? Right. And obviously the pacing. This is, like, a very, very slow... um, there's an atmospheric vibe to this. It's like somewhere between an atmospheric crime drama and maybe a psychological thr- thriller, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think the pacing of Wawa Kiyoshi Kurosawa definitely has his style. I really think like the movie wants to do to its audience what the villain of this movie is doing to his victim, sort of. It sort of lulls you into an alternate state, or, or it can. I think it's very hypnotic film there's a lot of long takes in this movie there's not a lot of takes in this movie it feels like every scene is uh is like one or two takes there's not a lot of uh close-ups in this movie a lot of it is shot at a distance you know a lot of it is just a a still camera looking into an empty room and you just want to sort of want to take in everything that's in the frames you feel like it's whatever you're seeing something important is happening there's a lot of that going on in, in this movie. So it's very different from, from his contemporaries uh, at the time and what was happening in Japanese horror. So I'm not really surprised that this movie was sort of overlooked by, the, by horror fans. Yeah, it's not as dynamic, you know what I mean? There isn't like these like jump scares and you know, like monsters or anything like that. Um, but yeah, let's just give a quick rundown of the main characters. So uh, sure. we have uh, Koji Yakusho as Takap Takapi Takabe and he's the, uh, the the main I would say the protagonist the detective in this we have uh Masato Hagiwara as Mamiya who's the, the the villain you know for lack of a better term and uh, right. Chiyoshi Ujiki as Takuma which is um Takabe's uh psychologist counterpart who's doing these investigations with him and then there's uh Anna 
Nakagawa, who it doesn't even isn't even named. She's Takabi's wife. <laughs> I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't even have it. They don't even give the character a name. She's just his wife. Wow. Yeah. So the film kind of um revolves around these characters essentially, and and the reason why I mean, Takabi's wife is uh, plays a big part in his role in this little drama here. So that's why I included her as one of the main characters. Oh, sure. And the movie opens on her. Yes. Uh, she's a, it's not really clear what, um, her, what her issue is, but she's got some sort of mental phobia or some kind of, um, mental disability or trauma or something like that. And she's, uh, you know, he's, he's essentially taking care of her and, you know, she's going through therapy. So it opens in one of her therapy sessions. Right. And they're reading uh, Bluebeard or now, she's reading a, a passage from that. I was kind of wondering if that would come back or be uh, important to the plot. And uh, I'm not sure it was. If it was, I missed it. I don't know if you picked up on anything later, but. I, I never read Bluebeard, but I did a little bit of research and they, and I think they stated in the film that, um, that at the end, uh, he's he's killed by her his his wife or something like that. So there's like a mur there's murder involved in Bluebeard. Ah, okay, all right, yeah. I, I, I curse I was to. Uh, it, it seemed like it had to have some significance because it comes up uh, it comes up a couple times throughout the film that she's reading this book and and she her one of her problems is memory too because we see that when she comes back to the therapist she doesn't remember reading the book. Yeah, and memory is a very major theme in this in this uh in this film so it's probably the central theme i i i would say yeah and um for sure but um and she becomes very important to the plot although she doesn't get a lot of screen time she is very important to the plot and the ending of, of this film Let, let's try to avoid spoiling it uh <laughs> for everybody too so uh you know i mean we i think we can do a good enough talk about this movie without like really revealing the whole thing Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I know. But, I know this came out in '97, but this is like a, a fairly obscure movie that is available to watch streaming if you have um, Criterion. That is, and uh, you know, I hope people go out, go and check this movie out. Absolutely, it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, but I would say it's it requires a, a, a lot of patience. I think the movie has a great payoff. But it, it just takes a little bit of patience, I think, to get there. This doesn't follow a lot of the rhythms of your typical horror movie or even like your typical detective versus killer movie. You know, it, it's very much kind of uh, moves to the beat of its own, I, I would say. Yeah, so I, I would recommend watching this by yourself. With You know, you don't mm -hmm. want someone talking to you through this film because you have to read subtitles. And, uh, you know, make sure you got, uh, you know, you got some refreshments, you know, got some snacks maybe around, you know, and you're comfortable, you know, maybe you're, uh, you know, freshly showered, wearing your sweats, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. You're just kind of chilling and they just, cause yeah. it's 111 minutes long. So you're kind of, and you can't, you got to pay attention. So that, that's my, my, uh, disclaimer on this thing. Yeah. It really does require a lot of attention. I would say the later you watch this movie, the better. Like you're in bed, uh, you're kind of like already in some sort of like you know relaxed state. I think that's a very good, 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 uh, good way to watch this movie because, like I said at the beginning, this movie is hypnotic in a lot of ways, uh, and hypnotism obviously very important to the plot. Yeah. So we uh, we open where we have uh, Takabi 
and he's heading up an investigation on a, a series of murders that are happening in uh in the city and uh they all have the same mo so obviously there's some connection however the uh perpetrators are are found right next to the bodies basically so someone gets killed and the guy who did it is right there so it's not like a serial killer killing all these random people it's there's a murder they all have the same modus operandi but there's different people doing it so they are connected obviously and what happens is the person there's an x slashed on the person's throat and uh so they're perplexed so they've uh employed uh sakuma a psychologist to help out with the investigation so um one of, you know one of the interesting things about sakuma is that pretty much every time you see him on screen he's either eating or drinking something i don't know if you noticed that I did not notice that. No, his psychiatrist friend, really. I did yeah. not notice that. Yeah, I picked up on that maybe the second time I watched the movie. He's like, he's, he's like always snacking or drinking like a cup of tea or something like that. I always found that funny, you know? Oh, that, yeah, little details like that. Yeah, that is pretty funny. Not, not all the <laughs> times, can... but enough times where it's like a thing. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, sure. And he also has a, a, a major line of exposition that uh, – I, like blinking you you might miss that it's very important uh, to the plot um but yeah we meet we we meet takabe um just sort of a frustrated guy i think he's you know like you said he his wife is uh mentally ill and it's somewhat of a burden on him and you get the sense that he really lives through his work as a detective as a, a sort of fulfillment to him like this is something he can control he can fix he can make right in the world he's a righteous guy yeah yeah you know and he's like your typical kind of disgruntled you know police officer overworked you know there's a scene in the beginning where he's like um talking to his wife uh about how when the case is done they're going to go on vacation and you know all this kind of stuff and, and you, right. get, you get the sense that they never they probably never go on vacation either yeah right yeah he's too dedicated she's she's too sick and he's he's very frustrated you can tell by the the movie opens with one of the murders and you know i think it's like the third or fourth murder and Takabi's already really frustrated like yeah like you say all these what is the connection he really 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 can't put it together uh until again like this uh you know you see him walking down the street and then you're like uh walking through a tunnel you see flashing lights in the tunnel or he hear her train he hears a train coming behind him in the background he turns to see the the blinking warning lights uh and he starts to develop this sort of theory like what if this is some sort of hypnosis and he brings that to his uh his therapist friend and his therapist friend explains that like while under hypnosis you still wouldn't do things you have a moral objection to meaning like if you're not a murderer you're not going to go out and kill someone if you if you think murder is just the ultimate evil act then then you won't go and do it that's actually a very very key part of this whole thing because um it it is kind of a meditation on more morality too. this film you know yeah yeah absolutely i absolutely think it is and um while these people are seemingly normal, they are normal people, but when you watch the film, you realize there is, they, they do 
have this in them. Like you look at who's killed, like who, who the victims are. And they do all have some sort of reason for what they do. Well, but, one, uh, one of the, the one that sticks out happens later on in the film. Well, first of all, let's, let's talk about, uh, Mamiya. He's this fucking dude in a sweater that they find wandering around on the beach. Okay. What a great introduction to a character, by the way. Yeah. Like it's just that beautiful shot of the beach and you sort of see this shadow subtly come over the beach. Um, these are themes I've noticed in Kyoshi Kurosawa movies. Shadow, wind, usually representing that something bad is, is happening or going to happen. And yeah, this guy kind of comes out of nowhere. He's just there. He just appears everywhere. You're unsure how he got there. And, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's just <laughs> like ahead, this sorry. guy with a sweater and some moppy like haircut, and uh, he looks like he would be into like Boris or something like that. You know? What I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like a, a hipster and a, a late '90s hipster. Yeah, Mamiya. Now he claims to not understand. No, he has like this short-term memory loss, where he he literally is a man from nowhere and he's nobody. You know what I mean? And um, right. There's a there's a, a guy on the beach that he runs into and they bring him back to his home and this is how we kind of get to understand what the methodology is of how he motivates people to kill kill other people. Right, and how he gets into other people's heads. He's sort of he, he asks them these series of seemingly harmless questions, but he's very repetitive and 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 I guess that that's a and even him with his memory uh, loss or apparent memory loss is part of the process. Yeah. So I feel like once you start talking to this guy, you're you're already kind of fucked. Yeah, it's like this lull. He lulls you in with this use of language, and it starts off as like a, a like a very casual conversation. One of the most effective ones is when. Um, uh, he he's talking to the doctor, like the female, the the woman doctor. Okay? Yes. You know, eventually he ends up in 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 the hospital, Mount Mamiya. Okay, and he's the doctor. She's like talking to her, and he has this glass of water, and he spills the water over, and that kind of is the first cue that something is his hypnotism is about to start, and he starts with these questions, these casual questions about why she became a doctor, and he goes into all this detail about, well, you know, you're only a woman and stuff like that. All this, like, super, like, sexist stuff. You know, that's what people said about you. You're only a woman and, you know, you shouldn't be a doctor and all this. And and then he um, talks about when she first saw a corpse in medical school and, you know, how she stuck the knife into the body and saw what was inside and, you know, and then she wanted to be a, a uh, surgeon, but she ended up uh, becoming a general practitioner. And then right. he has the statement about all, all you've really ever wanted to do is to cut men open. So, right. And that's, that's the, the work right there. It, it hits that. That's the, the essence of what's going to turn her into a killer is all of that re- repressed anger over sexism and how men have said to her that oh you can't be a doctor because you're a woman you know and even in his like talk with her he's like you know well you know women are lesser beings and all this other stuff right yes he's manipulating her into this but like you really see he tapped into like this resentment she's had 
all, all this time. And he even explains some of his process to her. He, he believes he says, I can feel you inside when I'm empty. So yeah, when he's right. asking me, where am I? Who am I? He doesn't know anything. Or he's emptying himself so he can take other people's energy. It's, it, it's part of this process. And you also see that, again, like these people that, that are shown to kill, they have a little bit of that. They have it in them because before that, who else is killed? He, there's another scene where he's just sort of, sort of appears on the rooftop and, 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 and he jumps off and that's how he gets into the police uh, custody. And one of the cops ends up killing his partner. And when they're interviewing him, like y- you learn that this guy kind of was annoyed with his partner. Yeah, exactly. He didn't like him. So again, and the first murder that we see is a guy with a hooker. And you would think, you know, easy to deep down inside. He probably presents, you know, this is how he's got to get laid or like he doesn't (laughs) have any respect for these people. Um, You know, the guy in the beach, you don't really get into like the relation, the guy in the beach with his wife who kills his wife. Um, you don't really get too deep in into into that, but like you know, I'm sure like <laughs> I guess uh, you know they didn't want to go into too depth into that backstory of uh, you know maybe he presented his wife for whatever reason they they don't really mention that. But yeah, that one that one's not that one's a little bit shit more shallow than the others, and maybe maybe they, it was a editing thing, you know, maybe like. That would have made the movie like 120 minutes long. You know what I mean? If they if they went into that first one, you know. Right. There's a there's a yeah. There's a lot of movie in this packed into this uh, you know yeah. hour and 51 minutes. And I think we get you know like holding that off until like you know the cop and then the scene with the doctor. I think that's the right time to reveal that those those moments like his process and how he does it. Well, the doctor, um, the murder that the doctor dove does is. That's like the most brutal one, I think, in the uh, in the entire movie. Really, it's one. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's the goriest, and, and we don't actually see her murder somebody. We just see she's uh sort of hunched over this body in a in a restroom, and it's a man, and he's uh, she's carved the X into him, and then she starts ripping his face off, exposing the skull and sinews and all this stuff below the below the face. <laughs> and then some yeah. guy walks in and sees her. Yeah, and it's it's not like really like it, it's yeah, it, it's just sort of like this process that, that that she's doing, like she's just she's just doing it, like just being controlled. It's it, it's very creepy. Yeah, you know, and it's almost uh, it made me think about like her, you know, back to medical school, like being in her, um, you know, dissection class or whatever. Right. Yeah. It, it, exactly. Exactly. And then you know, like he's basically caught. And now, like you have like the meetings of the uh, of the of the two characters, and that's some interesting stuff. Takabi, and 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 the hypnotist, and they're both sort of fascinated with each other for completely different reasons. Like they they don't understand. Like they like he doesn't fit into Takabi's worldview. It doesn't make sense to him. And and um, uh, Manima, like he can't really get into Takabi's head the way he wants to. I picked up on that as being um, that Takabi really doesn't have any kind of murderous tendencies, you know? Well, it's interesting. He doesn't. 
but he does. We, we, he, he doesn't, but he does. Right. Uh, I think Takabi is, is righteous and, and yeah, he can't get into his head, but he does affect him deeply. Takabi sort of starts to unravel at this point. I think everything he thought he knew of himself, of his life, everything is not what he thought it was after he meets the hypnotist. And again, his frustration continues to build and build and he starts to become sort of uh, undone by this whole process, this whole investigation and, and, uh, and meeting and meeting this guy just turns his world completely upside down. Well, this is also when um, they discover that there's a, a master hypnotist behind this um, mommy is a uh, skill like he was uh, a student of a master hypnotist and uh and that's when they uh sakuma is sort of behind that like he's the guy who does all the research and they find these archival films and i thought it was really cool how when they they found the book with the the image of the person but you can't really make out his face you know and they don't really name him either yeah it's very very creepy and just that whole building the way it's framed in the shot in in sort of this uh, broken down building with all the fog around it. It's very, uh, one of the, 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 the creepier images in, in the movie. Uh, you also get a sense that, did, did you notice that um, the hypnotist, like he is covered in like these scars and, and, and burns and things like that, but it's not really quite explained. Yeah, I was expecting more from that, but they don't really go into it. So you have to kind of fill in the blanks with that. Yeah, it kind of made me wonder just how far, like, oh, is this from his his journey of trying to, like, master this technique of manipulation of uh, of people's minds? Did it come from that, or did was he abused or something that led him to this sort of, down this, this sort of evil path that he's on? It uh, It's just a, a quick shot, but it makes you think so much more uh, about the character, or, like his motivations or what happened to him to make him like this. Well, the other point I wrote down here was that it's never really clear what the motive is either to do all this stuff. Yeah, that's true. I think, and I couldn't really, you can't really come up with any sort of, well, maybe you could, but I couldn't really come up with any sort of explanation other than he just could. Well, a couple things. Um, we're not going to give away the ending, but there's things that happen towards the end of the film which lead me to believe that there is some kind of uh, plot, some larger uh, movement going on that has to do with the original uh, mesmerist, or whatever they want to call him, and, and Mamiya, that has to do with possibly unraveling society or something like that, you know? Yeah, so you think that's like his motivation? He's trying to free society of their their of uh, of everything by 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 this technique. You think that that that's what he's trying to do, or spread it? Or... Yeah, like I think that. All right, well, a couple of things going on here. Number one, it only real like we were saying earlier. The rule is that it only works on people with murderous tendencies. Okay, so what what. I thought was that there's this grandmaster hypnotizer guy out there like who, you know, there's a, the guy in the archived footage. 
And once right. again, we have cool like archival footage. It's like black and white and grainy looking and all that. Which normally drives me crazy as a form of exposition, but in in this movie, it really it kind of works. Like, yeah. I, I know in past reviews and movies, kind of like you know, knocked movies for, for stuff like that. Yeah. But and here it made, it made perfect sense. I li- I like when it's done well. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you're talking about experiments yeah. and uh, things like that, things that would be documented. Things, like exactly, that. something that would make sense that there's an archive existing, like an experiment or some record of something, you know? So what what I think is that there's, there's only, Mamiya is not the only one out there that's doing this, you know? Like, why would only one guy go out? This guy's like a grandmaster. He's, you know, doing this deep research, and um, they kind of hint that there is some kind of, I'm not going to say a, a cult element to it, but there is like a, um, you know, some element to it that is cultish surrounding the, um, the, the mesmerizer, you know, for lack of a better term. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah so, I, so there's most likely, in my opinion, I think there's more of these operatives out there, these agents of chaos that are, going through the society and finding people with murderous tendencies and, uh, and motivating them to go out and kill. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like this is like a, one of those movies like, that there is a very big picture and you're seeing a smaller part of it. Right. And it's similar to kill List, which was the last film you and I covered. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, these movies have their similarities, you know, they, they, yeah. they leave a lot on the table for you to really chew over and think about and i think that's the movie's for me that's the movie's reward is that when it's over it really stays with you you really think about it it's not you know if you're looking for like you know uh you know a bloodbath or you know your, your typical serial killer type movie this is something completely different the reward is just finishing it and getting to mull it over for a while after you've seen it because you know i've seen it a few times now and yeah. I still think this movie is is very open to interpretation, and you could come out away from this movie with a lot of different ideas. Yeah, and I think the stuff that we're talking about is kind of the point of the movie, like the these like interpretations of it, as opposed to um, like what happens to who and who ends up doing this and that, which is you know that's interesting and that's very crucial to the narrative. But once again, I said that this movie. My, my take on it is that it's part procedural, you know, like atmospheric crime. And it's also, like I said, like a bit of a bit of like a meditation on like morality and, and you know, the, the inner, the darkness that's inside of people and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, morality, there's a, the, morality is, is also a big theme uh, of the film along it's like memory and, and loneliness too. There is sort of a, a sad streak running through this movie, especially through the the, the main character uh, Takabi. And I think that's visually uh, represented throughout the film. If you notice, most of the scenes are with one or two people. Oh. There's not a lot of scenes with extras. I mean, they they there are there, but a lot of scenes. You know, Takabi on the rooftop. He, he like uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa really made Tokyo feel like this empty lonely place yeah that's definitely and i really think that is to somehow like visualize what is happening in takabi's life i really feel like he's he's a 
frustrated guy. I think and he's frustrated with his wife. Again, it's something he can't totally fix. And then he comes across this, this guy that doesn't make sense to him, but he's completely fascinated by. Um, so that's another theme, I think, running through the movie and kind of running through Kiyoshi Kurosawa's films. And I think, uh, I don't know if you've seen Pulse, but it also kind of deals with similar themes of loneliness and, and, and isolation and things like that. I have it. This is the first film of his I've seen. Like I, I, um, you told me about this movie and I'm going to check out Pulse next, I think. Maybe even tonight I'll watch it. I think you'll really like it. Um, uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything. It, you, it might seem a little dated because it's about technology, but I think it was pretty, uh, you know, on, on a point that like, uh, does the society, these things that are supposed to advance us and make us better, isolate us? Uh, I think that's that's a, a general theme of, of that movie, and to some degree, this movie. It, 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 a lot of people who are isolated, frustrated, unhappy. Maybe they don't know, and more susceptible to uh, to things like this. Um, and like you said, memory. I got to point out, like uh, when he's talking to the husband, the guy he met on the beach. There's a statue behind him of of an, of an elephant, a little like elephant figurine. I have to think that wasn't unintentional. When you think uh, the elephants. Apparently, for animals, have one of the best memories. Oh, yeah, okay. For an animal, I, I, I thought that was like I was like that's either really clever or I'm just really kind of looking into that too much. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious about the bluebird connect, bluebeard, bluebeard connection too. Like I like I said, I never read the book, and I don't, you know, I didn't really. I just did like a quick cursory looking, you know, like research. I didn't do any in depth thing. I just want to see if that how that ties in more as well. Yeah, I kind of have that with a question mark next to it. And also, how did you interpret, like, what even just calling the film Cure? Yeah, I thought of that, too. And I was like, you know, that's, you can go super dark with that and being, like, total annihilation of the human race is the cure, you know? Right. Murder is the cure. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that too. Um, but uh, I, I think Mesner was sort of developed, like, was developed this theory to, like, of manipulation of energy around people. And he wanted to use that to cure them of their ailments. Um, it could be a reference to that. Or, yeah, it could be something much, much darker. Um, I mean, the way I look at it, it's like it's taking something that's inside of other people that they have been suppressing for their whole entire life until this guy shows up and hypnotizes them and then turns them into murderers. Right. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, that's basically yeah, what I took away from it. And you, you kind of wonder what happens to these people after, you know, they've, they've met this, this hypnotist and it's completely ruined their lives. Like, you can't say they're innocent. They committed the crime, but it's a crime they would have committed, would not have committed had they not run into this guy. So he's just this like this evil force <laughs> yeah. wandering around Tokyo, yeah. uh, like randomly, just like taking, just, just having people doing his evil bidding just because he can do it. 
It's um, funny that this does. It, it's funny we were talking about Alan Moore earlier. This seems like it could be like a plot to an Alan Moore story, like in like a Vertigo comics or something. Yeah, totally. Or he, this seems like with all the Japanese horror movies that were remade, like I, I can totally see David Fincher like making this for an American audience or something. It would be, I think it would be a, a totally different film, but I think it could, it could, it could work. Yeah, totally. I, I, you know, now that you mentioned that, I think about how that that would be really cool if Fincher had made a um a film of like with this plot, basically. Yeah, um, I also got a point. Like the the killer the, the 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 killer having like seemingly no motivation is makes it even sort of scarier. Like this could, all you have to do is run into this guy, and and that's it. He, he everything's chosen at random. Uh, that makes him a, a, just a little bit scared. The fact that like he's just every every time he's introduced, he's just there. Like he's on the beach looking around. He's on the rooftop sitting there you know stuff like that gave it gave the movie a, a very eerie feeling like yeah i agree man it's funny if the if they had remade this like in 99 or something like that if fincher had remade it you know like the american version you have like brad pitt in it as a uh, takabi or something yeah yeah something like that <laughs> i always think of fincher when i think of like remakes of the, like old like old boy i was like that would be great with like fincher directing and like nicholas cage as the guy <laughs> like he was in, like tell me how fucking great that would be <laughs> yeah that, <laughs> you know? that would be that would be amazing man yeah and uh and again yeah like uh i this this movie is seems to um you know there there are these people who want to put it above the horror genre like it's not a horror movie like like saying it's a horror movie is a bad thing i think this is definitely a horror movie just unlike your usual typical horror films especially ones dealing with serial killers I, this is totally a horror movie, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's on Criterion, you know. That's cool. That's great. It doesn't not make it a horror film because it's on like the Criterion Channel, you know. It's right. I, I, exactly. I, I just think it's a fucking great movie that is a horror film and indicates to people that because you're operating with it in genre doesn't mean you can't make a great film. That it's not just schlock, you know. Yeah, I think especially at the time it came out, I don't think horror really was given the respect no, no, not that, it, at all. that it's getting now. I think now yeah. you're starting to finally see like horror movies are, are, are getting like the respect they deserve, or, or at least more so, you know, they got their own streaming channel. Um, these movies are starting with their, their, they're more well-made. They have uh, better ideas behind them, more visionary type directors. It's not just like some cheap, you know, studio trying to make a quick buck with this slasher fair. You know, I think a lot more thought is going in, to these films yeah um you know i think just you know pure being sort of overlooked or whatever it's just you know the time it came out you know it was you know juan with the scary ghosts and the jump scares or it's takashi Miike with the extreme violence and although this movie deals with murder and things it's not particularly a gruesome bloody movie you know, like killing yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's more it's more subdued in that manner you know what i mean it, it's not like a, there's no heavy body count you know it's it's more about atmosphere and and uh, and you know just kind of like the meditation on this uh, you know human morality and stuff like that. You know, it's cool. Yeah, and I, I think it is masterfully directed. Again, it's a movie about hypnotism, hypnotic states, and, and I think I think the movie gets you there. It really like is directed in a way that like you just you really feel like submerged into this movie, like you're, you're like you're being hypnotized. 
along with it. There's a lot of like flashing lights in the background and just uh, like I said, the, the, there's just a shot in the movie in, in where the camera's placed in Takabi's kitchen and it's just like looking into the hallway and there's just something so menacing about it. Um, and it makes you want to look around at the frame saying, am I missing something? Is anything going on? Or like how most of this movie is shot like at a distance. Like I said, it's not, it doesn't like cut into like really close-ups too much. It's really, you know, camera's kind of a bit removed from the action and they, a lot of the action plays out in one or two takes. Do you have this on Blu-ray or DVD or something like that? Like a hard copy? I have it on, on uh, yes, I do. I have it on uh, DVD. Um, I did not upgrade this to a, a Blu-ray, although I, I feel like I should because this is a very, very good-looking movie. Does yours uh, have like any extra stuff on there, like bonus features or anything? No, not really. Like a quick little interview with uh, the the director, and uh, you know, kind of made me miss. Like that's one thing about streaming is you miss those sort of you know like those director commentaries and extra features. All that stuff's kind of going away. Well, on the or Arrow all- on Arrow's app, they actually include all that stuff on there. Oh, okay. See, so like that's. Yeah. I always found that stuff very interesting. I know it's very nerdy, but like, you know, a director's commentary can completely make you look at a, a film differently than you normally would have when you hear the director's intent and everything behind it. Yeah, that, I don't think that stuff's going away. It's just that there's only certain companies that do it. I mean, you know, um, I just got the sensor, like the Blu-ray of that, and um, that has all sorts of extras and bonus stuff and commentary tracks and all that stuff. I just think that. They're, they serve the people who want that, you know, so the labels that put those that material out usually loads up their discs with, with that stuff because people who are into genre genre stuff like this really want to hear hear that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you know, you're not going to get a director's commentary on the Fast and the Furious no, no, 10 no, or no, something no, like that. Nor would yeah. you want one, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. But we I want mean, the car to go real fast in this scene, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, I recommended this to you. Um, it seems like you liked it. Yeah. Final grade. Yeah, I give it a four point five. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, I I give it a five. Okay. This is one of my favorite horror movies. I, I I love it every time I watch it. I feel like again, like I said about Kill Us, take something different away from it. Um, no spoilers. I love the way it ends. I love a good. I love a good what the fuck ending. Yeah. Um, and I love it when you can talk about a movie after you've seen it and come up with completely different ideas of what you just saw. Well, let guys out there, if you, if you really, if you want to watch this and you watch it and you enjoy it and pay attention to the very, very final scenes. And then if you have your own ideas, let us know, like hit us up on, um, you know, on Instagram or, or, you know, put a, put a comment down with the uh, show post and, uh, you know, let us know what you think this whole thing was about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you're looking for something quieter to watch on your own, this is a perfect, perfect movie to, to, to check out. And yeah, like I said, it's one of my favorites and, uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa is a great director. Uh, Anything that's got his name on it, I think is worth checking out. He doesn't just do genre movies, although he has done a handful of horror movies. They're all very interesting, all similar 
themes happening throughout his films. Um, it's a great, great director, and this was a, is a great introduction to him. And um, this is a fun one, you know, because uh, I, I really feel like once you see it, you know, you can talk about the ending, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, the, we've already talked enough about it. I think just go in, if you haven't seen it, just go in at, as blind as possible. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care, guys. Thank you.